0: Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click, the e-commerce podcast for brands looking for their next growth opportunities. If you're interested in improving your conversion rates, average order values, and customer lifetime value, head over to CustomersWhoClick.com where you can find all our previous episodes and get in touch if you'd like to learn more. Get ready for an intriguing episode as we introduce you to a truly remarkable business with a refreshingly distinctive take on marketing and sales. I'm thrilled to have Ollie Richards, the visionary behind story learning, join us today With a thriving language learning venture that has crossed over 10 million, Oli is set to take us on a journey through his ingenious methods. This podcast episode delves into Oli's creative use of stories as tools for customer learning. What's more, he brings his own exclusive spin to the value ladder concept, ensuring that his customers not only progressing, but also engaging their wallets as well. Without further ado, let's bring Oli into the conversation. This is bound to be an enlightening session, so let's dive right in. Hi Oli, thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just sort of as an introduction to yourself, a bit of your background and how you've got to where you are today? Absolutely. Well, thanks for
1: the invitation. First, it's great to be here. So, yeah, my name is Ollie Richards. I'm from the UK. And I so the thing I always say about myself is that I go through seven-year careers, and my whole life has been basically one seven-year period followed by another. So my first career was as a jazz musician. I played a lot of music growing up. I ended up going to a kind of high caliber music college in London where I studied jazz. That is a thing. You can, study, you can study jazz piano is what I studied at university. And I was a professional musician for the best part of seven years. And then I, there was, came a point where I fell out of love with the lifestyle of a jazz musician, which you can probably imagine <laughs> a little bit about what that's like. And, uh, and I kind of uh, wallowed a little bit for a couple of years in my late 20s and then I decided right screw it I don't know what I'm doing so I may as well go and do that thing that I've always wanted to do which was travel the world and teach English so I did a course became an English teacher and I moved out to Japan took a really terrible English teaching job in Japan but it was a ton of fun teaching there and then I moved to the Middle East for a few years and uh, but during that whole time the thing that I'd always enjoyed more than anything else was learning foreign languages I'd always kind of done that in my free time when I lived in London I had lots of friends from all around the world. I enjoyed learning their languages. And so by the time I was a few years into my English teaching career, I decided to start a blog on the side because I had this need for some kind of creative output. And so I started blogging about my experience learning languages. And that turned out to be quite a prophetic decision because a couple of years later when my daughter was born, I decided, right, I don't want to live in Egypt anymore, which is where we were. So I moved back to the UK and then went full-time on this language blog that by now was earning a little bit of revenue, not much, but enough to survive. And then, so then the last latest seven-year period has been basically me growing and scaling that. And then more recently, I've decided to start writing and talking more about about business and growing online businesses, which is kind of where I am now at the beginning of this latest seven-year period. Amazing. How many languages do you speak? So I speak eight languages. Oh, okay. Which I've learned more than that, but I kind of, the ones that stick, there's eight of them. They're all, Well, truth be told, a lot of them are kind of disappearing now because I, during the pandemic, we moved out to the countryside. I live in the southwest of the UK. There's not many languages spoken down here. So nice. I am, I am getting pretty rusty in quite a few of them. Uh, but no, I mean, language has been a huge part of my life.
0: Yeah, eight. I can't,
1: like, like, fluently eight. I mean, all of, so those eight at one point or another were fluent. Yeah. And languages are one of those things where the, I imagine it's a bit like business, where the first is really hard, the next couple are a little bit easier, and then by the time you've done it a few times you kind of know what to expect so you can just take the most efficient route through it and, uh, and do it a lot faster
0: than you otherwise would yeah okay yeah it makes sense yeah definitely not nearly that close with uh, myself I've learned a bit of French a bit of Spanish a bit of Portuguese over the years just cool as of, almost like as I've needed it but yeah definitely nothing nothing to your level
1: well you see most people find that uh, that they just with languages it's a bit of dabbling here and there but i always think yeah that for most people with half a brain if you just decided you know what for the next 6 months i'm really going to give this 100% you'd be able to achieve a lot more than you might think it's just that most people just never really devote themselves apply themselves to it
0: yeah i think for me it's one of these things that i would want to i'd want to go live somewhere for 6 months like really immerse myself in it and force myself to learn it i think if i do it here i'm always going to be thinking well what's the point yeah, but do I actually need this? And there's emails to respond to and all of that. Yeah, stuff gets in the way. So uh, how do you get customers clicking?
1: How do I get customers clicking? Well, so my approach to this is always to start right back at the beginning. Because as we all know, there are loads of techniques and tricks that you can use to engineer a click through through copy, through graphics, through through, through whatever. But for me, we don't just want a customer who clicks. We want a customer who actually clicks with intention and wants the thing that you are offering them. And then, so for me, this all comes back to the power of branding. It comes back to the fundamentals of actually having something unique that solves a specific problem that differentiates itself from everything else in the market. Because if you can do that successfully and you can communicate that through everything that you do, through your marketing, through your content, through through your voice, then all you have to do then is be interesting and naturally people will want to click i would much rather have that than a series of kind of engineered clicks through various uh, marketing techniques
0: yeah that's I mean, it's that's what we all want in the end isn't it that's a, it's a big part of what we do trying to get those clicks for the right reason um the way i talk about it is we we want people to buy because they're actually fully convinced that they want to buy this product and that it's going to help them not because There's various pop ups and urgency and scarcity messaging that's making them run through. I actually got uh, there was an advert. I don't know why I'm being targeted for this. An advert on Facebook, which is for to become a certified life coach for the massive price of $7. And I just thought, (laughs) bold, I get, I can completely understand why this sort of thing is going to get, is going to make a lot of money. So there'll be loads of people who want to spend who are happy to spend seven dollars to become a certified life coach. I mean, who, what the quality of that certification is, I don't know. But for me, it was like you're just telling me that being a life coach is worth a seven dollar training, right? That's how kind of complex and and important this thing is. And so for me, it was like, and from the minute that you see that, what happens is that
1: uh, is now. Your entire impression of that brand is now anchored, and it's going to be impossible for them to to shift it. And so everything is kind of downstream from this initial positioning. And positioning, obviously, it is the USP of the business, but it's also pricing is a huge part of that. If you have pricing mismatch, like like you described there, you're just you're simply not going to trust what they what they have to offer.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough when you see it nine hundred ninety nine dollars marked down to twenty nine for for the month and you know that deal is never actually going to end that's bad enough but yeah for this just to be to actually just be valued at $7 I was like ah, how could people it's kind of worrying the sort of people who would actually go ahead with that get that certification and then try to be a life coach for people but yeah back to your point a key part of it is value right so I know what a lot of companies do quite possibly in this space in the language space as well is a bit more of a, lad, a value ladder approach, right? So get someone in on a maybe a free trial, move them up to a, a paid paid micro course or something, and then the end goal is you're trying to get them to spend fifteen grand with you on some one to one lessons or whatever. But I think you've got a bit of a different approach to that, right?
1: Yeah. So I mean that so in the language space specifically, it's a bit of an outlier because what, one of the things that happens in the language learning space, and this is often the case with education as well, is that There there are very few shortcuts. If you're trying to teach someone to be able to do something and use skill, there's very little that you can do that will dramatically speed up their results. In the marketing world. With language, you mean? With languages, exactly. Yeah. So if you compare that to the marketing world, in the marketing world, you often see secrets being sold. So essentially, if you pay me a lot of money, I'll tell you my secrets. And this, uh, there's a legitimacy to this as well. So if so I, I work with people sometimes and I charge them a lot of money. And the reason I do that is because I've got certain experience that is extremely valuable to their business. So in our world, there it does make sense to offer access for large amounts of money. But in an education context, that doesn't make sense because you could. it doesn't matter how much money you pay me, I'm not going to be able to get you to learn French any faster <laughs> because you are the one who has to do the work. So I can tell you all the techniques, but ultimately it's down to you. And so in in the language space, there isn't much of a value added there to be offered in terms of, I mean, I could sell you, like you say, $15,000 worth of lessons,
0: but it's a rather kind of inefficient way of doing things. I've still got to go and do my own practice in between. You're still going to do it. It completely depends on how much work I put in
1: exactly and no amount of kind of secrets and information reveal is going to uh, is going to change that and so i think a lot of people end up modeling what they see in the marketing world just because marketers are everywhere and they're so omnipresent and it's quite easy to end up unconsciously modeling what you see out there but to bring it back to the education context see a lot of the time if you're trying to teach a skill then what you really need is a long-term relationship with that customer so if someone's learning a language with us, for example, they it's not a three-month journey, it's a three-year journey. And so rather than using a value ladder approach to try to escalate them to the highest possible sale as quickly as possible, which is basically what a value ladder is, I've designed my business in what I call an ecosystem, which is where we have a series of different types of products which can become relevant to people at different stages so that as they progress through their journey of learning a language there is something a new product that kind of that's then offered that helps to keep them motivated that helps to, helps them to learn a bit more and so they end up on this kind of choose your own adventure type experience over the course of some, sometimes 5 or more years and we end up not only generating higher revenue through that approach because of the repeat purchase but we also end up helping them more because they're actually they're actually getting the thing that they need in order to continue their learning.
0: Yeah, I suppose it is it almost a bit of gamification, really. So you do a bit of learning, a bit of studying. You get to a certain point where the system, I suppose, is saying, cool, you know this stuff. Now that means you've unlocked this. And this is the next thing we recommend you buy for you, for your the way you're learning or whatever and so they buy this and they do this next section and then it's okay well based on this we think you should do this section next whereas yeah that that doesn't really work in the sense of a value ladder because that would result in you charging more and more like more expensive items along the way and it's i guess with a value ladder you're supposed to get like everything i suppose at the top of it like the very best uh, yeah. all inclusive Version of it, whereas actually what you're doing is like step one, step two, step three, for a while and, until that person is ready to stop. I suppose so it is, is, it is right? a lot like it is a lot like that. But also, I
1: think people often end up sleepwalking into these business models again because of what they've been taught in some online course or mastermind or something. And a lot of the time, these types of approaches are aimed at people who are new to online business. And you see you see this a lot in the world of kind of either people who it's very trendy at the moment to help someone monetize their expertise. So there's a, or an expert in yeah. something, we can help you become a, a guru teaching this stuff online. If you are a marketer who is selling to say experts and that expert is starting from scratch, the, by far the easiest way for that person to make money is by charging a large amount for some one-on-one access. Yeah. Because it's usually, we've all heard the old adage of it's a lot easier to charge someone 25K for something than it is to charge 25 quid for something and it's absolutely true it's, it sounds nuts until you actually get into it but for the right person a 25k offer is it's a split second decision providing that it is the right person and the right offer and so what happens is that people who are new to business often end up getting taught this value ladder model because it's the fastest path to money for that one individual but that doesn't that has no bearing on whether it's actually the right thing for them to offer, whether it's actually the right kind of business that you want to build. And in our particular case with story learning, which is uh, my, my language learning business, we are we are a kind of fairly high traffic, high volume business. And so the given what I said about how it makes more sense to sell in, in an ecosystem rather than trying to sell secrets as it were, and it makes a lot more sense to think, right, well, given that we've spend so much time and effort and money building such a large audience. How do we? What is the most natural? What is the business model that fits like a glove in our context? And I think that it takes
0: time to to arrive at that. Obviously, yeah. And this works particularly well for languages, or can it? Do you think it can apply to any e-commerce business? This approach of I know maybe not any many any e-commerce business because a fashion brand just wants to get those recurring purchases, and they are all different. I suppose yeah I mean maybe it's a different approach but yeah this kind of way of setting up so that people are coming back to buy again and again in a way that doesn't involve just trying to get them to buy the next like more expensive thing than more expensive thing right yeah but so what I mean what
1: all these but my business and e-commerce business and lots of other businesses have in common is we all want to incentivize repeat custom right we all want people to come back and buy more and more of whatever it is that that we offer. The issue with the kind of value ladder thing, as you mentioned earlier, was that once you've gone to the highest point of the ladder, <laughs> there's not really anywhere else to go. Whereas what most businesses are trying to do is to incentivize repeat purchase. And I'm doing that with courses just as much as a, a luxury biscuit seller is doing with their biscuits. And for me, this comes all the way back to your very first question, how do you get customers to, to click? And we spoke about this previously when we chatted the other day. It's so common in this industry to see people resorting to to let's just call them marketing tactics. Things that work and discounting is the obvious uh, the obvious example because everyone, everyone knows that if they have a product and they slap a big discount on it, they will make sales. But but what you're doing there is you're you're appealing to customers that are more sensitive to price than they are to value
0: you you're devaluing your brand in the eyes of the people who actually really care you're de, you risk yeah, you're de-risking that purchase to the point where people are just going to potentially just say yeah gone then why not i might as well and those that doesn't normally generate repeat custom because that segment are also much less likely to even use a product I've, i know i've had it several times where there's been a get this for free just pay the 499 shipping for your first month supply or whatever I remember, yeah, I got this, it was terrible, it was a terrible, terrible product eventually when I tried it. It was like a green version of Barocca. What's Barocca? So like a, Barocca, like the orange, it was like a vitamin drink, I suppose. I'm not sure, I do know, but anyway. But I get the idea. You like- no, Barocca, okay. Yeah, so they come in these little tablets, you just put it in water, it fizzes away, it dissolves. Oh, I know. Okay, I've got yeah. it now. Yeah, yeah. So this was a green version of that, and it was terrible. I tried it once and, and I had to get rid of it, but that sat on the shelf for about a month before I finally even opened the box because I knew what it was and I knew I didn't really care. I'd just kind of gone, I'd clicked on an ad on Instagram or something and just gone, yeah, do you know what? Four ninety nine to try it out. I'll give it a go. And actually, I spoke to someone this morning who runs a, quite a small business and this struggle he's having. So he was saying all his competitors offer free shipping so he kind of has to do that as well and that digs into margin and all he's been doing himself is trying various different promotional tactics to to get the sale in and not actually focusing on why they should buy from him right. why his products are actually the best
1: yeah so the way that i like to think about this is when you're selling when you're selling with discounts you're attracting people who are in a reactive consciousness so these are people who were not thinking about your thing 5 minutes ago but because they've been presented with the discount, they react to that and make the purchase. Like you said, that doesn't make for someone who, that's not someone that sees the value in what you offer. It's something who wants a, who, who wants a bargain. Now, the opposite of someone who is in a reactive consciousness is someone who is in, in a willful consciousness or someone who actually genuinely wants something. And what I always think about building with any kind of brand is a, something that has so much inherent value in it that customers no longer care about the price because they want the value that you have to offer. And if you yeah. can position that properly, and if you can communicate this well, then you get to a point where price is no, longer, is no longer a big decision in the purchase at all. Now, obviously, that does mean that some people who are more price sensitive perhaps won't become customers, but you're not so looking I- for them anyway. You're looking for the people who are prepared to spend
0: money on their own well-being. Yeah, I actually did a LinkedIn post just this afternoon about this exact topic, which was, I can't remember how it started, but it was essentially price is never actually the problem. Now, you will have some people who disqualify themselves because the price is way out of reach. They, they just simply can't afford it, right? So they're out. But of all the other people, all the people who are actually considering your, this purchase um, and are just weighing up the pros and cons, price is so rarely... A problem for them. It's normally the value proposition. And whether they genuinely believe this is a great product, which is going to get them to where they need to be, that's the bit that holds them back. Absolutely. But if you ask, a, if you use a quant survey and you stick price on there, I guarantee price will always be the number one result. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it, I always like to think of the luxury good market with this. And I, my Certain people in my family are quieter. They like to indulge in, in, the, in these kind of purchases from now and The Hermes stuff, the Chanel, not a great, not a, I'd say in a cool way, it's not binging on that stuff at all, but they appreciate that, that, that stuff. Now, it's so interesting for me listening to the conversations that, that I had around those brats because what you realize is that people actually, the more expensive thing that they buy, the more they almost wear it has a badge of honor. So I'll be with my wife and my brother-in-law, and they'll be talking about Hermes. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Hermes is probably the French pronunciation. Uber luxury fashion brand. And, and, and so my wife's cousin was telling her about, about these really nice handbags that they do. And I asked, well, how much do these handbags cost? And they said, well, you can get this particular one here is about 15 grand. And, and I, was still, I was like, what? Well, do, do you want me to go and buy you one as a joke? And they said, well, no, but you can't. Well, what do you mean you can't? You cannot actually walk into a Hermes shop and buy one of these handbags. Instead, you have to become a customer, buy a bunch of other stuff from them, and then eventually register your interest for this bag that you want to buy. And then they may, at some point in the future, allow you to then go and buy this bag. At which point, presumably, you go and you drop 15K on the, on this bag because it's a scarcity. It's a rarity. Yeah.
0: It's not something that you can easily get. I'm guessing it's a. It's almost like a, here's your one up. you've reached spot number one in the queue. This is your one opportunity to buy the bag; otherwise, you're out, out of the queue, or something, right? It's, it's, so, yeah, you, you hit that point where it's like, right, I've got to buy it now. Just, I finally got there. You're finally offering it to me. I'm going to buy it now. Obviously, that has to be backed up with massive
1: quality. And so, w- when I looked yeah. at these, when I looked at these bags, my brother-in-law was explaining to me, "Look at the quality. of These are all hand-stitched. Look at the quality of this." And this is all over my head. But the point is that brands like this gets occupies a space in the mind of the market which is the quality is so good there is nothing better than this and it can't be it can't be beaten and so the price is almost irrelevant and so that's an extreme example but you can apply exactly the same point to anything that you make or anything that you sell so the way that we do this at story learning my my language business is that we occupy a very specific space in the language market so we teach languages through stories and that's done mostly through reading. And this is a very kind of unusual positioning to have because most people learning languages now, they just, they just think Duolingo. They download a, a gamified app on their phone and yeah. kind of me- mess around on it. But for people who who are serious about their learning, they try Duolingo and they realize, well, on, I'm not really learning anything here. And so they are actually actively looking for, for more serious solutions. And those people also care about their learning, which means they're willing to spend money on it. And so we yeah. very deliberately position all, all of our trainings and books as well, because we have books and lots of different stuff to, to occupy this space where we say we teach languages through stories and we just emphasize the quality throughout. And we actively say, we, if you want an app, we, we, we don't have one. So if you want an app, go elsewhere. But if you're serious about your learning, come here. And so people who try it and, and it works for them At that point, when we release more products or we offer more different kinds of training, they've already bought into the whole ethos of what we're doing. They appreciate it for the value and they're not going to go elsewhere because they found what works for them. And so really, our only job at that point is to make sure that we are very clearly communicating that USP in in everything that we do. And as long as we can do that, then that's what keeps people coming back and buying over and over again. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Just on the topic of handbags, obviously Louis Vuitton is something you see. I feel like you see it everywhere now. Mm. And, you know, these are like 1,500, 2,000 pound bags. Right. And the rest. And the rest. Do you think maybe, right, because for the same reason people want those 15 grand bags, right? So exclusive, so, so premium. But actually, our Louis Vuitton almost going the other way now. Well, I know they're still expensive, but if everyone's got them, is it really that special?
1: Well, so I mean, this is the handbag market is one that I'm not at all an expert in. Yeah, but you know, you're going to have you get in any market, you're going to have these different segments. You're going to have the luxury, the high, the medium, the low. So you know, you're going to be able to get bags in Primark as well, and and so there's. I can only assume that there's going to be a market for people who don't want the Primark handbag. They can't afford the Chanel handbag, but if you offer something for around for a couple of grand, it's something that's affordable, but also well-made. And so this is the job of the brands to know what space they're occupying, how you're differentiating from your competitors, and, and, and just then doing a good job of executing and being consistent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So how do you engage customers on that, that ongoing basis? How do you, I suppose, stop people getting bored with it, getting distracted, because obviously, it's one of those habits you've got to build, isn't it? You've got to make yourself learn yeah. uh, every day, probably, if you're really serious about it. So, yeah, how do you keep people engaged? How do you kind of encourage them to come back and buy that next, I don't know how you've got it set up actually, but like module or that next step? Yeah, the thing? next, in the next product. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so, so we
1: run everything with content marketing. Content marketing for us is key. And so we, just to spell out what that is exactly for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, this is, for example, written content on the blog, audio content on the podcast, video content on YouTube. I also count uh, email marketing done well as content marketing. A lot of our most effective stuff is is done in email. And so what we're always, the whole, in a nutshell, content marketing is teaching your best stuff for free so that people want your paid solutions later. And so- what we're always trying to do is just build the most valuable, interesting content that we can that's continuously both, it's like, I've got edutainment. So you're educating, entertaining, but also reinforcing what's unique about your brand. So everything, all the content that, that we create at Story Learning, for example, has the theme of stories running through it. So yeah, in a nutshell, it's continuous, ongoing, never-ending content that's very
0: clearly on brand. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I and mean, it's, yeah, it's a lot of what we do as well. So it's, uh, yeah. I guess it's interesting because with a lot of other businesses, it would be that content is almost like to try and get people in the first place. And then once they're in, you start moving them through those stages. Whereas you're using content alongside their learning, right? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: It's a yeah. real fallacy that a lot of people say, well, I don't want to in an education context, a lot of people would say, "I don't want to teach this stuff for free on YouTube because then why would they buy my paid products? but that's a it's a fundamental misunderstanding because by by giving by teaching stuff for free, you demonstrate the level of your knowledge. yeah, and then by offering something for sale, what people are doing is paying for the organization of that information so they they can consume it in an easy to understand way. For example, I recently bought a course on on company investing. So this is a very specific kind of course. So if you run a company and you have surplus cash, how should you invest that cash? Let's say you have money left over that you don't want to reinvest in the business, what should you do with it? And there are many different opinions and approaches out there about how to reinvest business cash. This particular course, though, was a six or seven module course from this one guy where he laid out his entire thesis to invest in company cash. And it was a fairly expensive course. But it was fantastic. And the reason I paid for it was because it was organized information. So by the end of that course, I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to take, what I didn't, and what I wanted to do with, uh, with money. But I think a lot of the time, this is especially the case in e-commerce, pe- people that start, companies that start with a product have a fairly high cost base already, and they just want to sell it. <laughs> they want to be able to sell more yeah. right now. And content marketing can be difficult to wrap your head around because the return window can be fairly long. It's not easy necessarily to to say to someone, look, if you start a blog today or we start a YouTube channel today, you know, when you're going to make that money back. But the beauty of of content marketing is that it's if it's done well, then it's evergreen, it lasts forever, and so the long term ROI is it's absolutely huge.
0: Yeah, or m- it might just need a little update here or there, and I think it's really good actually when you look at when you look at blogs in in the current kind of marketing space, and. It's clearly an article that was written a while ago, and at the top it states that this article was most recently updated on this date. And then you, you get a, it might be originally published five years ago, but it says we've updated this for 2023 to be more relevant. I suppose it would be a, maybe a Google Analytics, well, Google Analytics complete change now, but previously, here's your complete guide to Google Analytics, and it's the same page, but it just gets updated every year with any major yeah. changes. Yeah, I mean, for time-sensitive stuff or anything newsworthy, it's, it's particularly important. But
1: a lot of stuff can be timeless as well. In, to, in the world of, uh, of e-commerce, so when I had a very interesting run-in with a brand recently, which was uh, it was a brand of Luxury Biscuits, which is where my reference to, to biscuits came from earlier, because it's been on my mind. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'll start off by saying these are the best biscuits I've ever eaten in my entire life. I mean, by, by a country mile. I mean, they were just, I was blown away. And I, and I made my fair share of biscuits, right? So I know what a good biscuit is. This These biscuits were unbelievable. And the, the tagline of the business is where food meets art. And it sounds like a lot of hot air, but I tell you what, it, it was really worth it. And the name of the brand is Biscuit Boutique, in case anyone wants to look it up. They are, a packet of biscuits costs about 25 quid. So they are, they're serious biscuits, but incredible. Someone gave them to me. Well, they actually gave my wife a box of it as a gift. And when she was away, I, I tried one and then, Within five minutes, I polished off the entire box. It wasn't my <laughs> wasn't my proudest moment, but yeah. what was super interesting is because so because I finished the box and f- immediately knew what the consequences would be. I immediately went onto their website and ordered a couple more boxes, one for myself yep. and one a replacement for her. Now they were expensive. I, I was a bit I was a bit surprised when I saw the price like twenty five quid for a packet of biscuits, but I just pay. I didn't. Uh, it, Although I didn't notice the price, it didn't stop me, and I went and I ordered a couple of boxes immediately because the quality was such that price was well. Why am I
0: going to quibble on price for such quality? Also, I'm sure you're aware there were some consequences if you if you hadn't replaced them. Right? The, the, Probably, yeah. I would have paid happily paid
1: that money to avoid uh, avoid the consequences of yeah of what I did. And then, but here's what's most interesting. After so, now they had my name and email because I ordered some biscuits from them. I then proceed to get daily emails from this company selling biscuits at a discount 50% off, 20% oh, off, no. summer sale, two for one, and then a couple of days of nothing, and then 20% off. And I look back through my Gmail now, and there's 30 days straight where out of those 30 days, 20, 25 of them are offering coupon codes. And I just, it, it shattered the illusion for me because they didn't have to do it. They didn't have to offer these discounts. They, they could have just never discounted a thing, and I would have kept coming back and to buy more because now I know I can get 20% off whenever I want it. I don't need to, to open their emails, right? So the, the, the game is up. But when it comes to content marketing, it, it set me thinking, and actually my newsletter at ollyrichards.co, I actually wrote a whole piece on this recently called The Case Against Discounting. And I and I wrote all these ideas for what kind of content marketing they could have done instead. So rather than sending me okay. all kinds endless emails, about with discount offers here's what i want to know i want to know how they make the artwork that there's kind of mosaic patterns on top of the biscuits i want to know all the different limited editions they have i want a tour of the factory i want an interview with the guy that came up with this stuff i want to hear from their chefs about different biscuit making techniques they want to know why they thought these biscuits were worth 25 quid in the first place show me how the magic is made i want to see all of these things if you've ever watched a documentary about Disney World, Disneyland, and how the parks are made, it's absolutely fascinating. Like Just I didn't know about this. Yeah, I look on Disney D- Disney Plus. It's actually, they've got all these doc, all these documentaries. And, um. Yeah, to- that So there's endless. Like, imagine a YouTube channel where they just did all these things. They took you on the factory tour. They visited the place in Italy where they get the lemons for from the zest flavoring on the, on on the biscuits. They could send exclusive recipes. To customers only, and in order to get more of these recipes, you have to be a customer. Limited edition of this, this sort of blue china, but like all of the like, I would sit and I would watch every single video that they put out if they actually made the stuff, but they don't, and it's such a missed opportunity. And so, you know that what that content would have done is reinforce the quality of the brand in my in my in my mind. Yeah, like the way that good, well, I mean, good food brands tell stories of where they came from. You're
0: like, I want that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so so many examples of industries and brands where this has gone wrong, and I'm sure plenty of examples where it's gone right, but I can think of three already. Fitness space, fitness supplement space, right? Never pay, pay full price for whey protein or anything like that because it's always discount. I had the same experience as you, although I knew this was kind of a, oh, I didn't know it was a heavy discount brand, but I bought an acquisition offer Right, I knew it was a new customer offer. It was like a little a mini bundle thing. Um, that was fine. Literally from the day I bought it, I was getting at least an email a day if not two with a discount. New flash sales been extended. Uh, flash last chance and then the next day it would be like, oh, flash sales started again. Jewelry space, kind of everyday jewelry. So not the actual luxury stuff, the stuff where you can buy an item for maybe 30, 40, 50 quid, 10 to go just discounts, bundles. And meal kits, so i like, Gusto, HelloFresh. My, my brother was saying to me the other day, he, he he, kind of kicked off his cooking cooking practice experience recently, but now he's stopped buying from them unless he gets sent a discount because he knows every now and again you're yeah. going to email him and say, get 30% off your next two boxes. Um, but there's so much opportunity for them to add value and content and they could talk about, the fitness brand could talk about why this protein is good for you or why protein is good for you, why th- all their products are good for you. What would be the perfect bundled approach, you know, like supplement routine for someone who's weight training? Jewelry, I'm sure just could, I think, loads of style guides. Um, I'm sure there's more they could do. And Gusto, literally, so much cooking content they could produce. Yeah. And, and an entire YouTube, YouTube channel with guest chefs. Yes. And then they've got, they, I, I don't know if he's still with them, but Joe, is it Joe Wicks? It's not Joel, is it? No, Joel, yeah, that sounds like a collaboration that could make sense. They have, right? They had a whole, he's had a uh, like a line of recipes with them. Um, But as far as I'm aware, that is the only way they actually promote it. Yeah, Like it's literally, they they use his brand on it and that sort of thing. But I've personally never seen any content where, apart from on, on his channel, his own Instagram channel, I think I saw him do it once. But they could be pushing out an emails and have literally a video of him doing a cooking recipe. You know, they could do cook along, right? Just have one of their employees who's responsible for just cooking every single recipe and doing it in a way that people could follow on in in real time. So instead of then, instead of having to constantly look down at your uh, your recipe instructions, which aren't always that simple, it's annoying when halfway through it says while you've been doing that, have your potatoes on the stove for 20 minutes. And you're like, okay, now I've cooked everything and not the potatoes. So yeah, just have a video walkthrough of every single one. And then people would love how easy that process has been made because of the video content. So they just keep buying. I think these are kind of very big
1: direct response based companies. I think often they do operate by different rules because they just have so much money, so much investment. And often these big companies might maybe playing a game of customer acquisition for example they may be not even trying to be profitable I, you know, I don't know the specific case of the company but i think the main thing about this positioning thing is that it, it if you're positioning based on value rather than on price then you obviously need to be at the higher end of the market and yeah. i suspect that companies like like gusto are operating more on the lower end of But that, they don't strike me as a luxury brand in particular i've certainly had door-to-door salesmen come and try and successfully actually flogged them to me in the past and that's his own interesting story on, on, on discounting actually because I signed up and then half an hour later I literally called them up and cancelled it immediately
0: but anyway the story for oh, every really? day but I think well uh, yeah my example from earlier right if I saw the ad for the life coach certification for seven, $7 if another one popped up at 997 that's the one I'd probably think that's the one I'd at least click through and think well for $1000 there must be some value in there whereas for $7 I'm expecting, like, I'm basically expecting to click through and answer an online quiz immediately, and that's about it. Definitely not going to be, I'm not going to feel like there's value in spending my time watching some videos or whatever to try and learn the stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, with, with
1: all of these things, everything needs to be factored in. So, it's your price, your content, your USP, the way that you talk to your customers, and all of these things are kind of downstream from. The position that you want for the brand and that's how you that's how you build something where customers become less attuned to the price and more attuned to 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 the quality of what you're you're selling
0: yeah absolutely so yeah just before we finish then if you could pick the brain of anyone in the like the e-commerce world or marketing space um who would that be it's interesting man because
1: i'm not i I think five ten years ago I might have had a different answer, but I'm—I I don't really have idols and, and heroes in this space at all. I think—I think I definitely used to, but I've. One of the things that's changed for me a lot over over the years is that I've. It took me a long time to realize this, but I've become very attuned to the fact that I don't have massive ambition. I don't need. A, I don't need a billion dollar company. I Legitimately, couldn't care less about that. And I've, but I. I also have a natural tendency to kind of push, and to want more. And to grow and to scale, and I've had to really temper that because I've realised that I'm, I'm lucky enough to have been fairly successful with the companies that I have, and I am much more concerned with sort of preserving my lifestyle and spending the time, my time, the way that that I want to. And so I've what I've tried to practice a lot over the last few years is being very attuned to making decisions that are right for me and the best for me in my lifestyle at the moment. And the more I find that the more that I tune out from a lot of the noise in the space, the gurus, the podcasts, the YouTube channels, and the more that I focus on asking myself what's the right decision for me, the better things go. So it's not a very helpful answer to your question,
0: but it's, it's the truth. That's no, it's fair enough. Yeah. Cool. Final question. Yeah. If you've got one just final piece of advice for brands listening, I think it's in line with everything we've
1: been talking about for the last hour. It's, Focus on what makes you unique. Focus on where the value of your brand is. What do you do better than everybody else? And then craft a story around that. And once you have that story, infuse that into everything you do, all of your content, all of your emails, all of your imagery, because people will forget you very quickly if you're a Me Too type brand, but just stick long in the memory if you can give the same impact those biscuits had on me a few weeks ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. If anyone wants to reach out and have a chat, or find out some more from you. What's the best way of doing that?
1: Best thing is to subscribe to my free email newsletter, which is at ollierudgers.co. There you'll also find a very large case study. It's 117 pages of where I basically, I break down my education business and how we do all of our marketing and that stuff. So you can find all of that there. You can also find me on Twitter at, uh, I believe it's at, mr ollie richards but i'll have to check because i have a few different handles there but uh, yeah those are the best places to reach me yeah it's less of a case study and more of a book isn't it It, well people keep telling me it should be a book but i quite like the i I quite like this sort of uh, contrarian element of it being a long google
0: doc because it just keeps it keeps it raw and also once you publish the book you can't change it yeah it's fair all right okay thanks so much ollie As Ollie pointed out, the ultimate key lies in an unwavering dedication to continually enriching your customers' experience. Sustained engagement coupled with an unwavering commitment to top-notch products forms the core of this success equation. Embarking on a journey where stories and compelling content reign supreme can indeed refine the trajectory of a business. But remember, the secret sauce lies in keeping the spotlight on your customers, delivering real value and catering to their needs. For more pearls of wisdom from Ollie, make sure to follow him on LinkedIn. Any other questions or thoughts to share or even recommendations for future guests, drop me a line at will at or drop me a message on LinkedIn. Looking ahead, our next episode features Blake Pinsker and Tory Rowe delving into the strategies that propel brands from six to seven, seven to eight, and even eight to nine figures. But until then, let's keep those customers clicking.